family trip to uh, Six Flags. And how, how many of you guys have been this season so far? Some of you? Okay. Uh, three of you. And that guy's been several times. Um, it was great. Um, the best part about Six Flags is the reminder uh, of how some of my children are entitled. Um, in other words, it's a, it's a reminder of their sin. Uh, this past Sunday, I mean, we're, we're at Six Flags, right? So you have copious amounts of things to do, games everywhere, you know, they're eating uh, $80 chicken fingers, you know, I mean, it, like just the whole experience, right? And yet, um, towards the end of the day, um, Daddy, we want to play games, Daddy, we want to play games, you know, and I'm like, our, like the, the roller coasters weren't enough, you know, the, like the swinging, have you guys been on like the new like aerial swing things? I'm like, that wasn't awesome enough, you know, so... I go and get some cash, and, um, and I soon find out uh, the, the, the reality of what my, what my kids really wanted. They really didn't want to play games. They really wanted a prize. And, and so I want to I wanna report uh, to you, and this is in great humility, uh, the prize that my son Maddox won. He won the biggest prize on one of the games, Plinko, and this was what he won, okay? I know this is... Um, <laughs> Now, uh, some of you who have flip phones, uh, you don't understand what this is, um, so let me kind of bring all of you in, okay? Uh, this is uh, the image of one of the emojis on a modern-day text messaging, and this just happens to be, uh, for lack of a better term, the number two emoji, okay? So <laughs> my son's dream prize was, was this, this hat, okay? And so he wore it the rest of the day, and it was somewhat embarrassing. Anyway... Um, my kid's favorite ride, though, uh, surprisingly enough, was the mine train. I have a picture of them I took from the bridge. You can see them there in the... And listen, you guys know, listen, if you're, if you're hardcore into roller coasters, the mine train isn't going to cut it, you know? But my kids loved it. My kids loved it, and I was with them on the first go-round. For those of you that have been, have been to Six Flags, uh, St. Louis, you know the one inevitable piece of the mine train that is somewhat... Uh, interesting, enticing, okay? At the very, very end, in spite of much um, lackadaisical writing before, at the very, very end, all you see is this tunnel that's coming up at the end, okay? And most of you who have been on the, the mine train, you remember the very first time, you're like, oh, this will be nice, right? Like, this is a nice little, you know, cavernous um, cove for us to enjoy. And actually what happens is you come into this tunnel of darkness and then what feels like you plummet to your death, okay? And, and, and so, you know, I, I'm like, I'm behind Maddox and Dawson the first time they're riding this and I'm like, oh, look, kids, it's a nice tunnel, you know? And then to hear their screams and to see their face, because they're, you know, they're not, not expecting the stomach drop. They're not expecting all of that. It was actually pretty incredible, um, there's, something about, there's something about darkness uh, that can change the game quickly. And um, I want to ask you uh, about darkness a couple questions. And I know, like, you're like, man, this is like, we're going we're gonna to start out, like, heavy like this. And, and my answer to that is yes. And so um, let me ask you these two, two questions, and then we'll, we'll process uh, from here. First question is this, okay? Have you ever been afraid of it? Have you ever been... In the dark, and let me just talk to you adults, okay? Um, so your spouse is gone, right? 
and you've, you've convinced yourself that, of course, not you. Like, you, you'll, you'll never, ever be afraid of the dark. But spouse isn't there, and you lay your head on the pillow, and you're like, oh, well, you know, you know what would be nice is, I'm just going to go ahead and turn on this table lamp right over here all night while I sleep, right? And you, you would have never, ever done that before, okay, while your spouse was there. But for whatever reason, no, A, no one's ever going to know, right? So I'm just going to give a little light on the subject just in case I get up. I don't want to stumble over everything. You're like justifying it in your mind, right? Just to, just to not ever have to admit that you're afraid of the dark. But we've all been afraid of it. It's crazy. Um, some of you have heard me share this story. But when I was growing up, uh, the, the way my window sat and the way the full moon would come through my window, it would come through directly this big tree in my front yard. And uh, we didn't have, like, shades over our window. And so at night, I would wake up sometimes on a full moon, and it was as if there was a tree monster that was going to eat my face. I mean, I, w- I remember, like, waking up wide-eyed, like, and if it was windy, right, like, the, the thing has arms and it's moving. And, you know, just like, if I just cover my head, I'm going to be okay. The dark is crazy. It's crazy. Uh, so let me ask you one more question, and um, I guess this is going to prompt some interesting thought in you. What's been the darkest time of your life? Uh, The time where you were encountering um, the most pain, the time that felt the most hurtful, uh, the time that you felt the most enveloped, uh, the time that you felt like there was no light at the end of the tunnel. You just knew you were in a tunnel. Uh, The time that you were experiencing a pit that felt like there was no way out. When was a time in your life when you experienced the most darkness? I've talked about certain seasons in my life where I've encountered it. And um, it is unbelievably demoralizing, isn't it? Uh, There's times where you'd rather just not even wake up some days. The heaviness of it is that profound. Well, what's happened in the last five weeks here is we've been walking through uh, the resurrection. And we've communicated to you many times about the resurrection of Jesus that uh, this place is going to celebrate Easter every week that we gather, every day that we gather, because Jesus is no more or less alive today than he was on Easter Sunday back in April. He's, the tomb is just as empty, okay? But on the issue of darkness, I think this is the most prominent piece revealing our lack of belief of this insane truth from Colossians. Check this out. Colossians chapter 1 says this. He has, Jesus, delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So what's happened, because Christ not just died, we saw at the beginning part of 1 Corinthians 15, but because he was raised, then the implications are that every single person who is in Christ has undergone a transferring. And the transfer is, in reality and in truth, under the shroud of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the sun, which is synonymous with the kingdom of light. Scripture says, in him, 
there is no darkness at all. And so as powerful as the dark can be, as alluring at times as the darkness is, Tonight, together, as we close 1 Corinthians 15, this unbelievable chapter on the resurrection, I want to celebrate what the power of Christ has done in taking us out of this domain and giving us and putting us into the kingdom of light. You guys with me? Okay? So we're going to finish this chapter. You're not going to be able to see in your scriptures, so just follow along with me here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 50 and rock all the way to verse 58, a powerful chapter it's been. Check this out, verse 50. I tell you this, brothers and sisters, apply as well. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Now, what happened last week is we saw what happened to our bodies, what happens to our bodies in resurrection. And it's kind of a crazy thing. I shared with you last week, I've, I've never thought it was a big deal. I, I never thought that believing something about what happens in this body is going to transfer to anything here. But I think for those of you that were here last week or that have listened in, you realize the powerful implications of the resurrection body. So here's just a snippet from last week. Check this out in verse 42 and 43. Next slide if you can. Uh, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. In other words, how we're born is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, and it is raised in power. And so because of that, we made a, a statement last week, and the statement at the very end of last week was this. Next slide. What if the reminders of our deteriorating natural body brought us to a continual place of worship? One of the examples I gave last week was, what if every time you stubbed your toe, you worshiped God, right? And so we're getting ready for Lot family, and this is inevitable. This is how the Lord works, right? Getting ready for Lot family on Sunday. I'm moving some chairs around outside, even though it was like 98 degrees. I still like set them out just in case anyone wants to sweat, okay? And... Um, I'm moving chair, chairs around, and I'm wearing flip-flops, okay? And those of you can already imagine what's going to happen. I move a chair, stub my little pinky toe, and you would think that little pinky toe wouldn't provide so much pain, okay? But, right? Like, when you stub little pinky toe, I mean, then you feel like, like there's knives being, like, stabbed in your back, on your forehead, and certainly in your feet. It was horrible, but true story, true story. After about three or four seconds of the pain, I started to chuckle, because I was reminded of this truth. And so, true story, in that moment, all of a sudden I was like, God, I'm thankful that there's gonna be a day, not just where I don't stub my toe, but where there's no pain. I'm thankful, God, that the fear I have of experiencing pain in this deteriorating body, there's going to be a day, not just when you wipe away every tear from my eyes, but the hope of a new body that will be transformed from this body that all of a sudden the hope that I get to relish in in the future, I can experience now in worship. And so I hope for all of you that there's been moments, like literally hundreds of them since last week, where you look in the mirror and you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe the hairline is getting that significant, and speaking for myself, or, or oh my goodness, I, I can't believe you know, that, that this zit popped up right there, and, and things that seem so trivial, 
now have all of a sudden become pieces of worship. So in verse 50, that's what Paul's reminding Corinth. Listen, I tell you, brothers, flesh and blood cannot, the way we are right now, cannot inherit the kingdom of God, okay? But he says this in verse 51. Behold, exclamation point, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And some of you are like, well, hold on, I I actually enjoy sleeping. Like, why would Paul, just hold on, I'll explain here in a second. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this, look at this, this mortal body must put on immortality. So I kept reading this over and over and over, mortal immortality, and I couldn't help but think of like superheroes. You guys don't know? Like anytime I hear the word mortal, I just think of the Avengers or something. Like I don't know why, but you start thinking about immortality and being mortal and, and like all of these, you know, Marvel movies and some of the rhetoric that's come up comes to mind. It's, it's like, okay, so all of a sudden we're gonna become like superheroes? Like, like this, this mortal, perishable body is going to turn into, you know, like all of a sudden we can like see through things, right? Or, or fly. This is what we do. We focus so much on what we get and not the one who's doing the giving. And so even as we begin to process the beauty of not having to be trapped in this body for an eternity, it can easily become this cherishing what we receive. But what if your perspective changed a little bit? In other words, let me say it this way. You kind of expect on your birthday that your family is gonna care. You guys understand, right? Like you kind of expect that when you wake up on your birthday, the people that are gonna call and text are gonna be your family members. You get chapped when they don't, right? Like, I can't believe, and you're, you're waiting for your dad or your siblings to call, and if they haven't called by noon, then you're, you're writing them off, and you're waiting on the Facebook reminder to remind them, okay? You're expecting it. You're best friends, okay? You're expecting them to remember. It's, it's hurtful then, like I've done at times, like when you forget someone's birthday. But my guess is you're not expecting on the day of your birthday for Jimmy Fallon to call. You know what I'm saying? Right, like, like if all of a sudden like your phone rang on your birthday and you're like, hello, strange you know, cell phone from New York. Uh, hey, this is Jimmy Fallon. Uh, Mark, I just heard it was your birthday. I wanted to call and wish you a happy birthday. And like every, like you, what? Like Jimmy Fallon, what, what, are you, what are you calling me for? How did you get my number, right? Like this is crazy, you know what I'm saying? In other words, when, when someone unexpected gives you something, attention, a gift, a something that, you would have never counted as possible. Like it changes the game a little bit. You see what I'm saying? So we all expect maybe one another to give something, but what about when a king gives something? What about when a king takes interest? What about when a king says, hey, listen, I know you don't deserve it. In fact, I know that you've turned your back on me and my kingdom, but I have something for you. And it's not because of anything you've done, It's because of the power of what my son has done. And so because of that, I have something for you. Listen, I'm going to give you, says God and this king, eternal love. 
You are going to be loved in ways that you have never encountered eternally. There will never be a stopping to the faucet of my love. He says, I will give you eternal security and forgiveness. I will give you eternal relationship with me. And he says and includes, I will give you a transformed body from this lowly one that you're in now. So what if all of a sudden, what comes from the unexpected, a king taking notice, allowed us to not just focus on like what we're going to get, but rather who is doing the giving. You guys with me? That's what Paul is saying. Listen, for this perishable, verse 53, body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. And here's the famous quotation from Isaiah 25, verse 54. When When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written in Isaiah 25, death is swallowed up in victory. Now we're going to start having a little bit of fun up in here, okay? Death is swallowed up in victory, a ton of powerful imagery. Let's say it this way, next slide. How has death impacted you? I had a chance today to meet with a a dear friend of mine uh, who many of you know, Nate Edmonds, awesome brother uh, in the Lord, and uh, many of us uh, in the last uh, year, it's coming up on a year anniversary of our dear friend Dana, his wife, passing away uh, here in our body at 37 years old from esophageal cancer. And it was crazy in that time and season and still like deal with some of the residual hurt, pain, missing her to know how impactful death is. Uh, Can can we just agree together? Death is powerful. Uh, I remember the first time I brought my kids to a funeral and like walking them through everything that was happening, walking them through like the the casket and what things are gonna feel like and what what the mood is going to be in the room and death is just, it's powerful. It, It It seems, listen, it seems and feels so final. It it leaves us often in confusion. And it's weird, right? Like even, even when you're fully convinced that the person that you're going to celebrate or be at their funeral, even when you're fully convinced that they're going to be with the Lord, there's still something strange about death. It's It's heavy. Because what we see is finality. In other words, we can't see what's happening on the other side of the casket. And so we're left to reel with all of the emotions and all the hopes and all the dreams and all the I wish I would haves. Death is insanely powerful. So as powerful as death is, now imagine the statement that Paul says that that power of death is swallowed up in victory. That somehow this thing that feels so final, that feels so strong, this thing that feels so dark, like all of a sudden is swallowed up by something. I was, I was imagining in my mind like, like what kind of image this would look like. And, and so I was, I was looking up pictures, quite honestly, of, of, tsunami, of tsunamis hitting land, this massive wave 
just crumbling buildings. I, I was thinking about what it looks like even when we digest food and, and what happens to the food. Like you, you can no longer see it, it's gone. In Christ, death is swallowed up in victory. And then he quotes in verse 55, almost a taunting. Look at this. Quoted from Hosea, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? It kind of has this like trash talky piece to it, doesn't it? It's almost like Paul's like, all right, like I know this Hosea passage. And so you, you can like picture him um, writing this through a scribe, like all of a sudden saying, what do you got, death? Right, like, like go ahead and bring it. Like, I, I don't know like, wh- like what you think you have on me, but in Christ now you, now you have absolutely nothing. It's this weird image of trash talking and taunting. And um, Sigmund Freud did a little trash talking about death himself. Uh, here's what he said for those of you don't know who Sigmund Freud is. He's a psychologist, uh, died many, many years ago. And finally, there is the painful riddle of death for which no remedy at all has yet been found nor probably ever will be. Uh, We kind of laugh at this, like Sigmund Freud, come on, dude, you're a moron. Like, how, how how could you ever say something like that? Let me tell you about what Christ has done. It's easy to say that, but the premise throughout the entire chapter 15 is what if we're living like this? What if the darkness hasn't been swallowed up by the light? What if our lives are telling the world he is still dead? What if we're not taunting, for lack of a better term, darkness and death because we're not experiencing it in our own lives? I long to look at quotes like this, perspectives like this, worldviews like this, and not combat it with hatred like so many believers have with picket stands, but battle it with the truth of a loving God who has bought our ransom through his son Jesus. And to bring to this dark, heavy world that certainly feels like at times, this is true, a message of light, forgiveness, and love. But my friends, it comes from a belief in us that this isn't true. You guys understand? We can look at these words and we can be almost like prompted with some sort of energy or passion for a few minutes, but then like we're just back at our job and our days living again like he's dead. Paul, I picture like putting his arms out. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The pain that you bring, there is nothing. There is no victory. Death, there is no sting. Death, death no longer has dominion over us because darkness no longer has dominion over us. You see what I'm saying? Like I picture this being read to the church in Corinth, and as I've said this over and over, I picture the church like rising up out of their seats saying, yes, death, you have no victory. Death, you have no sting. There is nothing dominion of darkness that you can hold on me now because of the power of Christ. And so he says then in verse 56, this crazy backpedaling almost statement. 
The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. I want to walk you through this. Um, Here's what I picture. He kind of puts it out there, taunting it feels, even though he's not. Oh, death, where's your sting? But now he wants to show his readers what the sting is. How powerful this thing is if you don't believe in Christ. So he says the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. So let me explain this from Romans chapter 7. Check this out. What then shall we say, Paul says to the church of Rome, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. You guys understand what he's saying? So back in Exodus 20, okay, uh, we were just down in Branson, and uh, my family got to go and watch this epic play down there, Moses, okay, and uh, as we, when we studied Exodus, like, we, as we said many times, like, it's kind of weird, and all, all the play, like, it said Moses, you know, just kind of this weird, but they got to watch this whole, like, epic playwright, epic story of the Lord's goodness play out, and one of those pieces is the Ten Commandments. So I think Paul has imagery here of the Ten Commandments. He says, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law, the Ten Commandments, had not said, you shall not covet. So in other words, what he's saying is, the law brings definition to sin. If the law wasn't there, I I maybe even wouldn't have known that, that, that that particular thing was a sin, that it was disobeying God, that it was disconnecting from God. But sin, verse 8, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. So in other words, what happens is when you, when you find out who God is, when you find out the beauty of what God has commanded, And we've talked about the commands of God here many times. 1 John says that the commands of God aren't burdensome. Why? Because it's a father giving a gift. It's dad saying, hey, listen, listen, a child, I love you. I have presents for you to open every day. They're called my commandments. They're called the way that you're to live in response to who I am. Right. So as he gives these commands, as we open these gifts... What happens is our sin becomes very, very, very clear. And what Romans says is that the wages of sin is death. And so if we stay in that sin, then guess what? Death still has sting. Let me make sure we're on the same page. The only way, the only way you can have restored reconciled relationship with the one God of the universe is through the one Savior, Jesus. That's it. It's not through another world religion. It's not through practically following some system of moral rules. It is through the person of Christ, and because of Christ, then the death and sting of it no longer is permanent, lasting, or even prominent. It goes away, but... For those that still find yourselves not um, put forth in the eyes of God through Christ, then death and sin still have a sting. And so then the famous verse 57, check this out. 
But thanks be to God who gives us the, what's the word there? Come on. The victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, I've shouted this verse hundreds of times. Okay, I mean, I have, I have longed for myself and my friends to get the power of this verse. But quite honestly, um, I've, I've started to really struggle, even in preparing tonight, because of this statement. Next slide. How can we live in victory if it feels like we're losing? You guys know what I'm saying? Like, it, it feels like we're losing. Christianity um, in America certainly isn't like the prominent uh, focal point. So it seems like then Jesus in America is losing. We battle through uh, the sin that seems to like rear its ugly head. And so it gives us this image that we're losing. Let me describe it to you this way. So uh, my sons played a coach pitch t-ball this, uh, this past summer. Had a blast doing it. And one thing that maybe you remember uh, about coach pitch or t-ball is there's not like a scoreboard in the outfield. You know what I'm saying? So inevitably, inevitably, at the end of the game, right, like all the players come over, there's no scoreboard, and they haven't been keeping track because they're six and seven years old, but they want to know one thing, Right? Like, they're looking for the scoreboard, it's not there, and so, and so they come to us, and they're like, did we win? Right. And, and I would love to tell you, I would love to tell you that in all those times, you know, I was like, and you guys know I was a four-sport athlete, a slightly competitive, I'd love to tell you that I always told the boys, or uh, coaches that, you know, I sat underneath, always told the boys, hey, listen, no, man, there was no winner, we're all, we're all winners, right? But that's not what we said, okay? Because we were keeping track. Okay? Okay? We, we had score sheets. We knew, right? And so often, because we got a few outs, even though it seems like everyone's circling the bases, we we're able to say, hey, boys, it's not that big a deal, but did, I, we did want to let you know we won tonight, so it's all good, you know? Like, we want that sense. We, we want that feel. We want to know on the scoreboard. We want to know on the scoreboard that we're winning. We want it to be tangible. I don't know if you're like me, I struggle to play games that there's not a winner. Anyone else? Like if we're like playing cards and there's not a winner, I'm like, why are we playing this? You guys know what I'm saying? Oh, we're just playing for fun. No, the only fun is when you win. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't, I don't know where you learned games, but I'm not playing bingo if someone's not shouting out bingo, you know, right? So all of a sudden then verse 57 starts to take some life. Because we can read it, but, okay, sin and death, they have sting. In Christ, though, there's victory. It's so hard for us to grab a hold of that passage and understand it tangibly because it seems like on the scoreboard we're losing. And so then, the thing that has stirred in me for years of ministry, I remember being 10, 11 years old, going to my pastor's office, saying, why does the church seem like it's dead? 
Jesus is alive. Like, I don't know what the problem is here. I've always struggled with that. And I think it's because it is so difficult for us to understand the victory here and now that we have in Christ because the scoreboard doesn't seem clear. So what I want to do right now is I want to help you see some clarity that maybe, just maybe, you've missed like I have. Next slide. Let's look at it this way. Ways our victory in Christ can be tangible, where the scoreboard is clear even now. Number one, how about this? Be reminded often of what Christ has done and is doing in your life. Every day. You want to know how the Lord is winning? You. Your life. Your testimony. Is proof even here and now that the gospel is real and that the tomb is empty. Because for most of you in Christ, there is absolutely no way. No way you would be where you're at without the power of the gospel in your life. Overcoming that addiction, all of a sudden that relationship reconciling you, forgiving those who are unforgivable. I mean, you name it. Every day you look in the mirror and you're reminded of what God has done. That is the reminder, my friends, that victory is ours and yours now. I know it seems overwhelming. I know you look out at the scope of a world and you're like, no, 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 like there's no possible way that we or us or Christ are winning, but I beg to differ. Your testimony, my friends, is such a prominent source of victory. Number two, how about this? Let's look at this. Ask other followers of Christ specific questions about how they are encountering the power of God. You guys are gonna hear a lot more on this topic in coming weeks. The Lord's been stirring in me a lot on worshipful conversation. But what I've started to do in the last few weeks is the dominant question between me and other believers has been, what and how are you seeing the power of God right now in your life? And what's happening is I'm walking away from interactions with my brothers and sisters, worshiping. I'm walking away being reminded that God is alive now. Because the reality is for a lot of you, You're still encountering this God that you experienced three years ago. And you've been in this three-year-long search to feel that way again. I did that for a long time. Many of you know my story. I experienced the power of God in college with my wife, Heidi, in crazy ways. We were part of a campus revival. And quite honestly, for years after that, I was trying to get back to where I was in, in those college days, encounter God in that exact way. I would set up worship services in the exact same way, hoping that I would feel the same way that I did three years ago. And what I forgot was that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. My feelings are not. And so when I shape experiences based on the past, I'm saying that my only encounter of God was back there. But my friends, the power of God is relevant right now. The scripture says the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but a power. And it's not talking about four years ago. It's talking about in the last 30 seconds. It's talking about literally right now in this precise moment. So let's start asking one another. How are you encountering the power of God right now, my brother? 
So I want to be stirred, not just by the things that you're encountering in the workplace, not just by the, the family battles or struggles that you're working with. I want to hear what God is doing and showing in you because please, in that moment, you and I will be able to worship tangible. It'll be the reminder that the scoreboard is not quite what it seems. Number three, how about this? Ways our victory in Christ can be tangible. We learn about what God is doing globally. Hello, hello. Hey, a little bit of a help newsflash here. America isn't the only place in the world. Agree? The United States of America is just a speck of what God is doing globally. Hey, how about for us right here? What God is doing in this body, what God is doing in St. Charles, just a speck of what he's doing. How about, how about you strategically position yourself around at times missionaries who have gone international? How about you get online and start seeking out, hey, the church in China, and you start reading the testimonies, reading about the martyrs, reading about the people that are giving up their lives, and oh my goodness, my friends, you know what you're going to be reminded of? This little bubble that's called America is going to be blown out of proportion when you see what God is doing in Japan. When you know how God is moving in Rio right now, when you understand that God is infiltrating Ecuador, when you hear the tribal a community that's all of a sudden all come to Christ, that will be the reminder that the scoreboard isn't quite what it seems and that victory, my friends, is tangible here and now, certainly in the end, but even here and now. You guys understand? But it feels so, it feels so heavy. It feels so like I'm, I'm just losing, I'm just, I can't gain traction. It's not about you gaining traction. It's about the fact that Christ already has. And so the famous verse 57 is coupled with maybe the most dominant therefore in the entire 1 Corinthians. Check this out. Verse 58. Therefore... Now, this is the last verse of the chapter. So let me, let me just give you kind of the overarching uh, whole theme of the chapter, Jesus is alive, okay? Can we sum it up that way? Jesus is alive, therefore, you ready? My beloved brothers and my sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in, what's the word? Vain. Remember what we talked about in the very early parts of the chapter. If he's not alive, all of this is in vain. It's fruitless. It's meaningless. Let me read it again. If Jesus is alive, if the tomb is empty, if he is resurrected, therefore, my beloved brothers, be Steadfast, consistent, staying the course, not, not just a great beginner or starter. It's the greatest hindrance right now in our discipling relationships. We come out of the gate hot and fizzle often. It's the greatest lure of service in the city or uh, of one another. We, we come out strong, excited, passionate, and then we watch the candle he says, no, 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 be steadfast, consistent, enduring. Why? Not because you've pulled up your bootstraps. Not because you've become a tryhard. 
be steadfast because he is what? He's alive. You guys understand? Because that's the temptation. We pull out verse 58 and we say, okay, yeah, yeah, I just need to be steadfast. No, 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 no. You believe that the resurrection is real and the fruits of that belief will be a steadfast pursuit of Christ. Now, if Christ is risen, not just be steadfast, but immovable. One of the biggest uh, temptations that I see uh, in our culture, and I would even say at times here, is that we're very, very easily blown to and fro by the wind. This thought, this relationship, this opportunity, this pursuit. And whatever, whatever um, happens in our heart, insecurity or need of uh, pursuing or accepting, being accepted by others, we find ourselves like so consumed by this thing, this job, this relationship, this struggle, that we're just blown to and fro with whatever's going to come our way. But my friends, there's a different reality, a different joy that we get to exist in. Because he is alive, be immovable. Why? Because you're standing on a firm foundation. That firm foundation is not getting any less firm. You guys understand? The solid rock of Christ isn't becoming a mushy piece of vegetation. The solid rock of Christ will always be a solid rock of Christ. That means we don't have to try to stand in and of our own efforts. We are standing on something that is not movable, and so therefore we represent that person of Christ by not being thrown to and fro by the next thing that grabs our eyes. Immovable. And then check this out. Uh, what's, the, what's the next word there? What's the next word? Always. You guys see that? In the Greek, that means always, okay? Always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Christ is alive, therefore everything else. So we get to the end of this chapter. I've shared with you before, it's become my favorite chapter because of this statement. Next slide. You guys remember this? Now, Matthias, my friends, my brothers and sisters, our temptation will be next week when we move on to chapter 16, is that the implications of the resurrection will be out of sight, out of mind. I don't want that. Anyone else? I know our elders and leaders, myself, and I pray you long that what's happened in this journey is that you have been, everyone here individually, forced to come to this place where you make your answer clear. He is either alive or he is dead. 
And if you are going to stand on the truth that he is alive, if it's going to be a statement that rolls off your tongue, if it's going to be something that you sing, if it's going to be not just a holiday that you celebrate, then I hope what you've seen is that the implications of the resurrection of Christ do never stop. There's never an end. They will have implications every single conversation you have tonight. They will have implications on what you do before you go to bed tonight. They will have implications when you wake up tomorrow and when your daughter gets sick and when your marriage feels like it's going through a difficult season and when you lose that job and when money seems tight and when all of a sudden you're overcome with fear. The resurrection will supersede all of those scenarios. And I hope what you've seen is that can either be nice talk or it can be that we've been taken and transferred from the domain of darkness into light. Several years ago, I've talked about this before. was in a dark uh, season, a dark few months. I distanced myself from community. I was struggling to find the Lord. I'd already been in ministry for many years and heart getting crusty. And I remember um, hearing the lies in that moment that there was never gonna be a way out I remember sitting in the shower one night, like hands in my hair, hearing the lie from the power, the domain of darkness, whispering in my ear, there is no way out. You're here forever. Start feeling sorry for yourself. Sit here in your pain and your misery. And I did. I believed it. Not just for a day or two, but for weeks. But then something happened. The Lord in his kindness brought me to repentance. And the Lord in his kindness and his love showed me the reality of who and what I was. You see, I was no longer under the shroud of the dominion of darkness. Why? Because I believed and I believe that he is alive. Now, he had convinced me, did the enemy, that I needed to sulk and stay and that I was trapped forever. But the problem was my victory was already in Christ. And so as the Lord in his kindness brought, brought me to repentance and opened my eyes and stirred my heart, you know what I started to see is I didn't want for one second to believe that darkness had power any longer. Why? Because now I was a child of the light. And the freedom of that, the joy of that, my friends, it far exceeded the sulking and the pain that I experienced in the darkness. And I know for sure that some of you are living in that right now. 
hearing those same lies. The power of the resurrection has yet to take root. You say the right things, but in your heart, you're not experiencing the power of it. But what if, what if Revelation 22 was true? Check this out. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. Please see this truth in verse 4. They will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. You see, my friends, there's something that's happening. When Christ was resurrected, all of a sudden, there was a transferring that occurred. John chapter 8, verse 12 says, again, Jesus spoke to them, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, listen, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Affirming our identity, Peter says this in 1 Peter 2, but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Listen, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. That's what he's done, church. He's affirmed our identity in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, for you are all children of light. Listen to this, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, amen? It's not our identity anymore because our belief is in a risen Lord. And in him there is no darkness at all. Matthew 5 says, as a commissioning to us, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on its stand. And it gives light to all in the house. Hear this commissioning, children of the light, in the same way. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That is the power of what Christ is doing in you. And in Romans 13, listen to this truth. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of the darkness. Let us cast off the works of the darkness and put on the armor of light. And my friends, please hear this truth lastly. Such a powerful word in Ephesians 5. This is our story. For at one time you were darkness, but now, but now. 
You are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. That's who we are. The darkness is done. The domain of darkness has no power over us because on the first day of, week, of the week, when the women arrived, the tomb was empty. And in so doing, ushering the opportunity for all who would believe in him to run out of the pit of darkness and be pulled up by the mighty hand of God into the light. And that is you and I's invitation, not just tonight or tomorrow, but until he comes back or calls us home. Some of you are in darkness. I know, wondering what's up or down. Let me guarantee you this. There is only one source of light and it comes through Christ in reconciliation to God. And so tonight, I'm gonna invite the elders and their wives to come up. As we end this chapter, uh, it was on our heart as pastors and our wives to serve you, to serve this ancient meal, to together proclaim as pastors in a church body, that our desire is that the resurrection will mean something in this church from this day forward until he comes back or calls us home. So your acceptance tonight of this meal as a believer, as you come up and you pull a piece of bread off and you dip it in the cup, representing the broken body of Christ and the shed blood of Christ, this whole walk for you tonight is I am a child of the light. The darkness has no power of me. Why? Because the tomb is empty. And so women tonight, come and find one of these women to serve you. These women have a heart for you, want to care for you. Men, come and find one of these pastors up here. And maybe for some of you, sitting in the darkness, this will be the first time you've ever cried out to the Lord. So you too can share in this meal if you call on his name. Ask him to give you a faith in him like you've never understood before. And that profession of your faith out of your mouth, through your heart, the scripture says means that you were saved. So together right now, let's celebrate who we are. The resurrection has made us children of the light.